This is the multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Supported by No Pins, the revolutionary number attachment system. See them at Facebook and Twitter. Whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. I'm Coach Joe Beer, and I'm once again joined by South Fork Racing's monkey, Martin Crocker. Evening. Thank you. Right, let's jump straight in. We'll, ha- we'll have no faff. People say there's there's too much faff with you, Martin. <laughs> they, they, they say a lot, a lot of things. They say, things, they say a lot of things. Yeah. Here we go. Let's go for... Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I think this... Um, this Facebook posting from Toby Britton. He says, just wanted to thank you and Confucius Crocker for the advice over the past two years. I completed the Outlaw, which for those who don't know is an Ironman distance triathlon. So that's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a marathon. Um, and that was his first. Uh, he did it in 12 hours, 13 minutes. Well so done. that's solid for Brilliant. his first ever one. Uh, solid plan executed well. Uh, PB in the swim, held back on the bike, in brackets, worst discipline, and had enough to do a 412 marathon. And then he says, more information is not necessarily more informed. I knew it would Where did he get that from? I don't know. Um, I had great pleasure overtaking the bike smashers who overtook me on the bike. So that was Toby, which I think was really nice. Well done, Toby. Outlaw done. Um, You better get your entries in pretty soon because they're just about to open up, uh, I think, the entries for 2015. And uh, it sells, as they say, like hotcakes. Yeah, they'll be sold out by 10 past midnight, won't they? Well, Roth, I think, sold out in five minutes. (laughs) Good Lord. Yes. And you're not not talking, you know, a £6 check in the post to a race organiser. You can pretty much add two zeros onto that. That's 600 to you, Martin, all right, just so you know. Um, right, this one is Chris Kidd. And this is a question rather than a... Um, what, you're going to be funny then. Um, no, he, said, um, he said, I'm doing a 12-mile uh, trail run at the end of September. Any tips, please? Well, that's quite to the point. Um, I bike 60 to 100 miles and run 12 miles per week. Um but more running recently after signing up. That's a good idea. Also, looking forward to your tyre group test, which Martin needs to update us on. Um, thanks for the great work, Chris Kidd. And he says his sports that he's involved in are trail running, but obviously bikes and runs as well. So he's doing a 12-mile trail run at the end of September. I mean, he runs 12 miles a week. So in terms of, OK, that's probably split over you know, more than one run. So the first thing I think about doing any kind of running endurance challenge it's not necessarily do you have to do the distance but 12 miles is within people's scope when yeah. you start talking about marathons unless you know ultra runners are, are um tuning in and um that's a, a different breed of, of of sort of 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 running mentality but also of, of why they do it and the the physiology is no different but there's a there's a different sort of mindset in training actually if he's doing um cross training and he wants to be able to do a 12 mile trial run then you can just build up to it yeah it's 
you know, end of September. By the time this goes out, it'll be middle of August. So he's still got four or five, not necessarily six weeks, but certainly four or five weeks. And if you build up, actually, if it's 12 miles, for people doing half marathons, they will quite routinely do a 15-mile run just to check and over, you know, overstress the body, not at race pace, but just time on your feet. And I think that's a really useful thing not to try and think, can I run as fast as possible? If it's a trail run, to what extent is the trail going to be really challenging is it going to be terrain going to be a factor yeah is it uphill on pushing down on your knees is it going to be finding how to run down descents at speed and not whack your um, thighs too many times and therefore induce quite a lot of quick fatigue so i think know what the trail run is build up gradually and use some of your biking as a good way to just be aerobically fit and be able to do, you know, 12 miles, let's say, even if it took you, you know, 12 minutes per mile, that's two and a quarter hours or just over, sorry, two two hours 20. Um, so you could go off and do a lot longer ride than that. And therefore, two hours 20 on your feet running is very different to three hours on the bike. But the fact your metabolism's used to going used for three to, hours yeah. is different. And if you're running 12 miles and it is going to take you more like two hours, you've got to think about what sustenance you take along with you. Do you take some easy to carry gels? Do you have some raisins, your jelly babies, your malt loaf, whatever it is? You know, 12 miles isn't, we're not talking about trying to give out advice to people that are doing, you know, 56 mile runs. Um, 12 miles is very doable. And if you've been doing this for um, a while and you've actually got a basis on which your running of 12 miles and your biking of up to 100 miles gives you a good aerobic fitness, all you've got to do is point that towards being able to do over distance, maybe between maybe 10 days and two weeks beforehand do a you know 14 mile and think i can do the distance even though you might not know the terrain of what you're doing yeah you'll be ready and prepared and thing also as well is, is, is the, with, the, with the trail run sometimes the 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 trail is the factor yeah you know? so yeah kind of doing a lot of of off-road running what you tend to find is there's a lot of guys that will constantly run you know if you're coming up to a steep hill and you look at it and go um, and and you know a few people are walking but some people are running let's let, let's be honest you take a good look at it and go it's actually a lot easier if i walk this i'm going fast <laughs> as the guy slowly padding up there yeah and to be honest with the amount of energy that you end up kind of saving from that rather than trying to bust your chops to bust to your chops is a technical term to 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 get up to there and 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 rather oh, i've come to run this I'm, I'm not walking you know like you said getting a little bit lower pushing down on the knees with your hands you know taking slightly bigger strides to to get up there you'll find that you'll get to the top of the hill or the top of the of mm. the climb mm. and then be able just to roll into a nice run again it's mm. just a little sometimes people don't like the break of break up of rhythm but that's road running, really. Mm-hmm. But when you get to trail running, you have to break yeah, the yeah, rhythm up. Yeah, you're not, yeah, you're not, you're not going to be running a perfectly no. subtle terrain that barely moves more than 2 or 3% any one time. You're going to have big changes of perhaps direction, terrain underfoot, even the angle and the, the, the width that you have to go through. You might have to go through quite narrow places where you have to go single file and stuff. Yeah. I, I think that's why, um, okay, there have been lots of people that have been into... Um, running but the 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 whole trail running off-road running stuff really over the past you know five to eight years has really been going upwards you know the whole um is it skyline um 
I can't think. Of, I'm sure it's Skyline. The whole sort of world tour of of, of runs. That's the fact right, there's yeah. a lot more trail runs for people to do. Yeah, it might be sometimes trail marathons, but a lot less distances than that. I think to get off the road and to see what it's like to run against terrain, actually the minutes per mile start becoming irrelevant because there's right. going to be such a big difference and it's easy to run downhill very fast, but it's then trying to scrabble up some scree or go through a really twisty path and not twist your ankle on roots and stuff. I think that's quite exciting. And, and because it isn't necessarily about a set pace, the variety means people find every event and every time they do an event it's just a little bit different yeah and I, and I think also with it i think road road running i i think the road running and and trail running or off-road or cross-country is pretty much the same as kind of like mountain biking and and road riding yeah you know road riding is is a fitness test pretty much it's fr as, as hard as you can go and normally the the kind of the best numbers win but if you've got a little bit of a, a bit of a skill off-road yeah. you know, especially with running as well you know it does matter where you run, where your foot placement is, you mm. know, how you run certain um, ascents, descents, mm. you know, um, a bit, you've got to be a bit more savvy when, when you're off-road because you only need a little bit of a, like you said, a root or mm. a rock. You just need to turn that rather yeah. than looking down, avoiding it yeah. and thinking, well, thank God I kind of stepped, stepped to the side of that one because you can just roll an ankle like, like yeah. that and then that's it kind of you spend most over of the, the edge cursing, <laughs> cursing and hobbling back to the nearest feed station or to the nearest mm. marshal to be picked up so um i well, survival say, of the fittest would say just leave them on the trail just let them go pirate them go. rules pirate rules. Behind. <laughs> um but yeah i would say for that is definitely kind of know that you can do the distance and by the sounds of it yeah that's that's not going to be a problem footwear is a big issue so yeah. just make sure you've got I'd like to say sturdy pair of boots. <laughs> sturdy, no, sturdy pair of boots. boots. Just make sure you've got a decent pair of shoes that you're comfortable in running, not brand new shoes, which mm. people seem to do all day, every day, is buy a new pair of trainers, running them and go, yeah, they did rub me a little bit. Yeah. Well, but we're going to. And then, like you said, nutrition. Um, and then just kind of know a bit more about your about yeah, your Because the event will be so different to, oh, yeah, it's a flattish half marathon on the road. This is 12 miles that could be almost like running close to 18 miles or more on the road right. because of the speed drops that you have the terrain the possibility that it's you know so so um heavy going that you're just barely moving forwards in which case 12 miles can feel like you know 20 miles That's it. so good luck and tell us how you get on yeah well done Right. Um, thanks for that one, Chris. So we have another one. This is from Mark Harrison. He says, hi, Joe. And of course, Crocker. Every time just to tell you he waves when people do that. <laughs> I don't know why you wave. There's no webcam going. I, I hate to even suggest that. <laughs> I'm currently in my first season of time trials, which I'm making steady progress. And I'm down to 23 minutes, 15 seconds for 10 miles. See, this is the thing with time trialists. They know it to the, to the second. Yeah. There's no sort of like, oh, it might be this, it might be that. That's what it's all about, time and distance. And he says, uh, one hour 14 for 30 miles. I'm riding uh, Planet X 85 front and 101 rear. Finally, for my question, as it is worth, um, finally, for my question, is it worth upgrading to a disc wheel? Also, I have been told about disc covers, which are obviously a lot cheaper. I'm already running reasonable tyres. What are your thoughts? I'm from a tri background and still take part in various distances from sprint to iron distance so would i get much benefit from a disc in triathlon as well um keep up the good work and that's mark um my few peneth would be what would it be um is it worth upgrading to disc not really I, I, I really don't think so not um 
you know, with the greatest of respect, a 101 rear is still a fair amount of rear wheel coverage. And the, then the step up to a disc wheel, I don't think you're going to notice that much increase in aerodynamics. And if there is, it'll be at the cost of a lot more than what you've ever spent on wheels before in your life. Yes, there are some phenomenally fast disc wheels out there that would improve, you know, from a few watts at the back. Um, but it's quite a late in the day addition to things. And if you're going in to try, you probably won't find that there that a disc is that comfortable in triathlon. And I know you say reasonable tires. Hopefully you've listened to previous stuff we've said and therefore you're on those and not on some of the cheap tires that have been sold in uh in, in narrow widths and quite uh dubious brands so i think no to the disc and no it won't help you in the triathlon and look more at obvious things like clothing optimizing the sort of narrowness and and aero position that you've got um and just yeah chip away at being able to do what is the next move up which is to get into the 22s and there's you know there's 23.15 for 10 miles and there's 23.15 for 10 miles if the course it's not super quick and you can normally tell by what the best times are. That might be, you know, a really solid time, or it might be actually you just need to do more riding, more riding in position and uh look at the aerodynamic tweaks. On the screen now we've got a picture of athlete I deal with and the transformation over the past three years yeah. from a biker to now a really good time trial. This is amazing, but it's a lot of good kit, it's a lot of strength training and particularly strength training um on hills on the bike and it makes a difference but i wouldn't you know that person hasn't even gone onto a disc yet and yet they've still made their biggest gains yeah i i agree with joe with with that from from the point of view that the wheel set you've got is versatile enough to give you everything so you can use them maybe if it's a bit lumpy um they're a bit of a handful on the windier days, but yeah. with the greatest of respect, with the disc, you don't. To kind of describe it, you you get you get buffeted, you get buffeted, but you don't really notice it because your backside basically your weight's kind mm. of there anyway. But it's it's like Joe said, it's it's kind of it's not ultra harsh, but it does add a certain amount of extra stiffness to mm, mm. the way you ride, and it handles slightly differently as well. So yeah. it's it, and like you said, it's a lot of money this time of season to go for it. I yeah. I think a, a disc could be an icing on the cake thing. You know, if you've got the money to go for it, then mm. then, then fair enough. But I just I don't think it adds. I think a top skin suit would be far better, and making sure your aero helmet fits really well. Yeah. The, the disc they look super sexy and attractive. People think they're going to make themselves a lot faster. And then you see how little it makes it the back of the bike. You've got to have so many other things right before, before you automatically you say, "Oh, yeah. a one hundred one rear to a disc is going to make so much difference." Because you're not talking cheap, and if you are talking a cheap disc, you might just be buying. Mm, well that's the thing and also i suppose looking at, at things like disc covers um oh yeah disc covers they're they're easy enough to put take on and off but mm. they are a faff and number two they add a lot of weight to the wheel yeah um, but then that's if he's not doing climbing and he's riding at that sort of speed the weight factor is momentum as opposed to yeah, pure weight and yeah. yes if it's, if it's very hilly i.e taking it into triathlon that additional weight might be less than ideal yeah, yeah. and I think they're better when somebody's using perhaps um, 
you know, a standard sort of box section rim with potentially a power meter tap, in the yeah, back yeah, yeah. or or just using it for, you know, racing training. And they say, well, you know, some races I want a light rear wheel, I take it off. Others I put the disc on because I want high speed. At the back, there's stuff online. Look up wheel builder. And look up disc cover, and you can see that they're they've done wind tunnel testing, and yes, it does aid over and above a conventional rim, but it, it is a bit like the icing on the cake. And I think it would make sense to you know to buy covers because you're going fast enough that there'll be a little bit of difference. But at about a hundred quid, you haven't spent way beyond what you need to, yeah, yeah. and because you can take it on and off, you can make that. Um, wheel whatever wheel you choose to use it on because if you've got a disc cover it might be better to put a disc cover on a lighter rim that's right yeah. that um that isn't the 101 and therefore be able to take that off and have a light rim for perhaps a hilly try where you just want lightweight but use the disc cover when you've got a fast high speed perhaps sprint try perhaps short time trial but when you're getting up to that 24 26 28 mile an hour not just average speed but the fact that the wind speeds you'll be experiencing will be over that because you're not just riding in totally steel conditions mm. and that then you start to get a sense that it could be giving you a few seconds here and there but you haven't spent so much that you're just praying that it's going to give you yeah, that extra minute it's like don't forget it you're not going to get a minute from a disc wheel but you start looking at good clothing good helmet interaction on the on the sort of back of the neck and the visors that integrate and so forth then you can start looking at bigger chunks of time but yeah. not the disc is it's such a big surface area it looks like it could be doing so much good and yet it just doesn't stack up no, no that's the thing and, and also with the word if, if it was a wasn't a 101 on the back then you know, yes, you would like like Joe was saying. You you know, you're better off having a shallow rim with a with a disc cover. But because you've got the 101 there already, you know, I think you're just kind of filling that gap with a a lot of extra money, if if that makes sense. Yeah, they look they look they look the business. They sound the business, but they don't always deliver the business. No. Do you like I, Do you like what I did there? I agree. Yeah. Okay. We've we've had a um we've had a. This is one of the few times that somebody's actually, I don't know from which avenue they've come, but they texted in, which... Texted. Texted. They sent mm. a text. They texted in. <laughs> is <laughs> that right? Texted in. Text. Text in. They text yeah. in? Yeah. Whichever. Yeah. Whichever. Anyway, Some, it's come via any, any phone communication. Via electronic phone communicators <laughs> on one of these mobile phones. Um, so this was from Richard Smith. Telephone. No, I'm not going to give his telephone number. Um, so this is quite good because it means it can be, um, well, like the emails and stuff, but we actually got it straight to my phone. It says, hi, Joe. Um, love the podcast. Been listening a couple of years now. And your advice. Uh, your advice. A couple of years ago, about heart rate zone made a huge difference to my running. Last season, I went from 50% age graded to 60% age graded over 20, over 10 kilometers. Um, cheers. So that's nice. So um, that's also half your cheers as well. You get the ch eh and I get the errs, all right? I'm thinking of doing a half marathon in October. Uh, last year, I did one hour 56. Um, and also a 5.35 duathlon. So that's 5K, 30K, 5K. Uh, the following week after the half marathon is a week long enough to recover or should i not expect a good performance um just just a just a week after the half um i am male and 44 richard smith 
Okay. Being Richard, I, I got the male bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yes. Um, so, I mean, good, good to see. Yeah. Heart rate stuff. It's, um, it's quite good to see when people, you know, not, not, not that people don't know of zones, not that people don't sometimes know of their zones, but when people properly execute zone training, they say it works. Whereas lots of people know zones and they go out and they're completely in and out of zones, like in and out of doors. They're not actually training to zones. They just go through a multitude of zones depending on how they feel at that particular time, yeah. which is different to going out and saying, I'm staying in zone one and you stay in zone one to the letter and how far you've gone doesn't matter. It's that you've executed that to the letter. And obviously he's done some good things. Um, sometimes, particularly with running, it's that doing the right mixture training means your body loses weight rather than being stressed and gaining weight. But that half marathon duathlon thing, I suppose you could say it's only 10K running a week later. So it's half the race distance. It depends on what that October half marathon is. You know, if there's a lot of downhill running and you, you hammer yourself, okay, you might be running faster than an hour 56, but almost two hours on your feet. Uh, then a week later, do a duathlon. Yeah, you can do it. I mean, perhaps the duathlon might not go to, to, to plan, but I think sometimes with these things, you don't know till you get there. That's and, it. Yeah. And it's not going to be like, OMG, you're going to kill yourself. Oh, no. Oh, my God. OMG. Oh, sorry, OMG. Oh, come on, Croc. Are you I'm know too old that. for this. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> IMHO? Yes. Right. That blood, we're not talking blood type again, are we? No, no. That's a different conversation <laughs> entirely. Um, a question for you. So you can do it, can't you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom line, you can do it, Richard. But what would you say then, what would be the best course of action then leading up to half marathon and then after the half marathon in that week up to the duathlon? Well, up to the half marathon, he's talking about... Um, in October, so he needs to get his almost like the same as the trail. We've had two running ones. I didn't even realise this was going to be a running one, but he has to get his his volume up. Ideally, um, he doesn't want to run too much over two hours because when people are running just under two hours for a half, when you start talking about running for fifteen miles or sixteen miles to go over distance, they're starting now to be out on their feet for you know two hours twenty, two hours thirty. It's like blimey, that is as long as an elite marathon to run. So yeah. maybe not a good idea to do that, but certainly to get you know, up to 10 miles, potentially split it and say, why not do a double run day, hour a.m., hour p.m., first one in the morning, steady state, you know, quite relaxed, um, delay feeding afterwards for 40 minutes, let your body restore those fats into the system, let the body really kind of almost be a little bit survival in restoring stuff that is only available um not from food, I, it has to do it through lactate, through fatty stores circulating. Um, then later on in the day, do another hour, but do that at a quicker tempo right at the top of zone one. Not necessarily race it in zone two, but just a bit of upper tempo, just so two hours on your feet in the day, but split over the day. Yeah. Um, but after the half, he's just, you know, he's, he's got to be compression tights on, you know. You've got to recover, haven't you? There's yeah, no recovery drink, hydration, it. something good afterwards that gives you protein and carbs and starts hydrating, um, possibly massage by the end of that week, by the Thursday, Friday, just to kind of like help, not too soon afterwards. That will often be quite painful. Um, and don't expect and don't even plan, and I would say don't do it, for at least – until the Friday, do not run. You've yeah. just done a half marathon. Do some biking that week. 
Um, you don't say about that you swim, so maybe you don't swim, but just bike, you know, first day is a, is a day off on the Monday, Tuesday, go off and do a little bit of easy biking Wednesday, maybe, you know, could go to the pool, do deep water running or something different by the Friday. You might think, actually, I'll go off and do, you know, go off and do a little easy, easy run off the bike, you know, 40 minute bike, 20 minute run. Oh yeah, that's fine. Saturday prep everything. Sunday, do the duathlon. Yeah. Your legs will be getting better through the latter stages of the week. You haven't put insult on top of injury by running on them early in the week. Yes, you only sound like you've got two options, but um, it makes sense not to run. That isn't going to ease anything out or, as I've heard, clear the lactate or do anything like that. Um, um, it's um, it's just I think it's just thinking ahead to think I'm not going to do any... Um, I'm running. not going to do any running. That because... would have been my immediate reaction. I think yeah. is, is the fact that the, the first thing you do is go right. Well, I need to, I need to get these legs moving because they feel sore, yeah. and you think that gets rid of the soreness, don't you? Yeah. But like you said, you'd be better off to to rest it up and then just do a small trot on on the Friday, yeah. at, or, and, or do a little bit of aqua jogging will be brilliant or a bit of swimming yeah. just just to get yeah. some movement back into yeah. them and you can do that the day after i mean if somebody's got time and and wants to do it the day after a little bit of activity sometimes is psychological but it's almost like that like you run 13 miles you're probably going to be on your feet by looks even if you've improved your speed you're going to be on your feet for you know over an hour and a half and therefore it's still quite a long time for your legs to recover from that if you have trained and been up to a couple of hours on your feet, split over two portions, maybe also done some above race speed running just to get your legs that little bit better at dealing with the impacts. But as such, you're putting two things together that are perfectly possible to do. Yeah. It's just that you focus on recovery in between and you accept that you're doing both because you want to do both. And there's, there might be a compromise. You might find actually your legs feel fine by the Sunday and, and you just say, oh, it's quite hard work on the second run on the duathlon. Well, that's duathlon. Welcome yeah. to duathlon. Okay. It's just pacing the first 5K, being able to then... Um, do the bike leg and, and control it and then run hard. Whichever way you do it, you are running 30K over two weekends and there's a bike in between the second part of that sort of racing scenario. So you could do 30K. Yeah. We're not asking you to do, you know, seven marathons in a week. Well, people have done that. So we could say, yes, you can do it. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, almost, yeah, that's it. it's almost if people don't think they can do it, I think you've already started to maybe say, oh, that might be hard work. Well, again, that's racing. If you look after yourself and you're not taking serious illness or injury into a half marathon, you can definitely recover and a week later be doing it. Yeah. But you think about it now that you're not going to plan to, you know, run on the Tuesday because you always go running with somebody and you want to tell them all about your half marathon. You just think, I can't do it that week. I want to be ready for the duathlon and doing more running is not going to do it. Yeah. Good job. Good luck anyway, Richard. Yes. Um... Have you got any little uh, news or have you got a top tip? Or, you, or actually, most importantly, Martin, what's going on with these 28 mil Conti tyres then? 28 mil? Yeah. We're, um, meant to be doing, we're meant to be doing some wider tyre testing, weren't we? I've, actually, I've put, I've got on my Scott Addict, I've got 25s on that I've been riding. I've been riding 25s. So I'm about getting the 28s. For uh, two, three months. Yeah. So, but the 28s, I don't know if I've got any yet. Oh. 
So you did say last time you were going to get some, so... I'll that's... double check that. I'll have to... Can I write, I'll write that down? That's, that's yeah, you can write, write it down. down. <laughs> yeah, you can write it down. You can write it down on the back of that um, question sent in by a reader. Right. I'll give you a little bit of research updates here. Just some, some different bits and pieces. Um, first off, protein isn't always thought about by... Endurance athletes, you could be, you know, an enduro, mountain biker, you know, trail runner, triathlete, time trialist, but protein almost, as I see it, when I've asked people, they sort of say, yeah, I kind of eat enough protein and probably do. Most um, assessments say around 15% of people's diets from protein and that's kind of, all right, that's fine. But protein in terms of um, helping you adapt is now being seen as one of the areas where if you get the right quality of protein you can start making a difference to significant training so it's not you know randomly putting together things and saying that the amino acids will help with the repair you're actually taking a specific um, protein source and saying right if we give people that amount of protein does it help them exercise hand up over in the corner yes you joe martin crocker um with reference to, to the guys listening, what, let, let's put it into layman terms then. When you would take a protein and what type of protein? As, okay. in, as in what quality, I should say. Okay, so um, the, the evening seems to be one of the areas that is a useful time. I think that might be quite, um, quite a sort of catch-up time. Somebody invariably hasn't eaten perfectly during the day um anybody out there you know please put your hands up now if you eat perfectly every day every single day and of course you can't put your hand up so sometimes people will have a, a whey protein shake end of the day 30 grams you know just an ounce and have it last thing at night and that's just going to help at the very last stage of that day to put quality rebuilding uh blocks if you like into the system far better than you know going to bed with a couple of drambuies down your neck or whatever you have i don't know what did you, you, what, what you, <laughs> you, you have your baileys and horlicks mixed yeah. do you yeah. whatever yeah. but that seems to be one of the places that is very effective and they've measured amino acids into the night and it yeah it helps you recover particularly from harder training days or when the protein intake on that day hasn't been great, but you know you're recovering from something, perhaps a harder session the day before, the day before that. Uh, there's there's traking it, traking it? Ha, got my teeth in. There's taking it in training, i.e. during a session or immediately afterwards, and that seems to be really effective with high intensity or resistance training. That seems to trigger the uh, the, the sort of genes to basically send the right messages so it is a building block but it's also part of the messenger process that goes on in the body um this particular bit of research was on about um taking people that did um exercise in a resistance um format so doing Uncommon. eight lots of eight lots of yes you know that term now don't you eight lots of five leg um exercises um, followed then by 30 minutes of, of cycling. And as Martin cleverly said, that's called concurrent. I just thought then maybe somebody didn't hear it right enough and you would have to reiterate yes, the word concurrent. Yes, concurrent, which means you get two different type of training modes, i.e. strength training and endurance, which from a from an exercise science point of view are not put together because they muddy one another's kind of training effects. Really, they should be isolated as best possible. So they looked at that in um, eight healthy males and then they looked at having them either on a 
um, a whey protein, 25 grams, or actual just a, uh, a placebo, which I'm not quite sure what the placebo was, and then measure what was going on um, an hour and four hours later. And, and basically, the, um, the response when you take the, the protein is it's more anabolic, it's more um, uh, sort of adaptive, and therefore um, it makes it synthesize protein better, i.e. the body has got, I guess, the raw materials there. And, and as, as these uh, researchers from uh, this particular study, which, which was just done um, a couple of months ago, say that um, it is an important nutritional strategy to enhance adaptation responses with concurrent training. And this was, you know, 30 minutes of cycling and, uh, you know, basically 40 leg um extensions okay they're looking at certain muscle groups but you know you're not talking like they've just done a, a half iron man or a you know 120 mile sportive they, they've only done a fairly small amount of training and yet 25 grams of whey protein is visibly helping the body to adapt better um by what looks to be quite a significant amount so protein does seem to be, okay, we think about carbs as being a really important fuel for training, and yes, on very long sessions, but the adaptive response is better done with something like a whey protein shake at that point in time, okay? So, so with reference to, to that, um, just for people um, listening, thinking, well, does the protein need to be taken after exercise for a bit more of a maximum effect, I suppose? Is that a better way to put it? In what way? What to get the very most out of that session? Well, yeah, yeah, for everything, I suppose. I mean, would you, for instance, take it on a rest day, even if you've obviously a you've done nothing anyway, but b if you've eaten all right throughout that day, could you take that on a on a rest day? Do you need to be taking that? Well, I suppose. Habitually, well, I, suppose well I mean, people have individual preferences as to where they get their nutrients and foods from. Yeah. So if people aren't big meat eaters, they they don't they don't entirely have a lot of eggs they're not always having you know a quality amount of of uh of, of sort of milk um drinks and so mm -hmm. forth it might be that one of the ways to fill in a, a very targeted and specific and useful intake of protein is to say well have a whey shake yeah i know for the purists oh but i want to eat my you know tofu burger and etc that fine but if we look at the ways in which people train, sometimes a less than um, a less than sort of um, super organic, super sort of eco way of eating is sometimes as effective, if not more effective, than thinking that oh, I can just make that up with my own little sandwich or whatever. When you talk about way, you're talking about a quite specific thing to put into the equation, and it's not saying that's the only thing to do. But its benefits go into so many research areas right. now that it's yeah. kind of like, yeah, whey protein for athletes that, what, you're going to finish a session and chomp down, you know, a, a steak or you think it's a good idea to go to a, um, uh, immediately go to, you know, a fast food restaurant and have a, you know, a, a burger or whatever. Actually, targeted nutrition like the whey to me, makes absolute sense because you're not saying that's what you have every day, but in that scenario, it works. It works, yes. That's what's and that's what I'm saying. Late in the day, sometimes people say, I had a shake because, well, 
you know, I'd, I'd eaten as best I could, but I couldn't have everything perfect. And that I know is a very useful source of protein. Therefore, why not use it? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, not. Yeah. And yes, you need other sources and there are massive benefits of what, you know, uh, red meat can give you in terms of um, taking it as part of your diet and what, um, you know, having you know various egg and milk the variety of food should be massive, as massive as you can tolerate or ethically um, sort of believe in. Yeah. And whey is just one of these additional. Look, we've engineered a very good, um, very time efficient and also now very well proven um, sports add on. If somebody is not really into exercise, they probably don't need to think about whey. But if they're ultra uh, ultra sort of anti um, meat or just don't like meat and they don't get on with eggs and they're you know then actually whey whey might be a good way of saying yeah. well look you, at least you get the benefits from it and I think that targeting nutrition is better when something like that you know works versus somebody making it up as they go along and saying oh yeah but I eat loads of things with, with protein then when you break it down they eat loads of things that they think have got protein in and some of them are massively loaded with fat. Some of them aren't actually good in protein. And some of the combinations that they think certain amino acids go with certain other amino acids don't work. Yeah, yeah. Whereas whey, it's like, look, it just works. And if you need to have that as a 25 gram amount, great. I'm not saying live on it, you know, five times a day for the rest of your life, but it is very effective. And because it's got a proven background, it's not hocus pocus. It's actually got a lot of science to back it up. And, and now it's relatively cheap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Most of it is a is a byproduct of of dairy production for other things. So it's literally a not a waste product, but it's a byproduct. It's a a waste product. Um, But on top of that, there was another one um, which I'm I'm sure you'd love the um, uh, the title because it was used concurrent. uh, No, it doesn't. But it says high high um, high protein restores overreaching induced impairments in leukocyte trafficking. I, I can like understand that. that. Yeah, and reduces the incident of upper respiratory tract infection in elite cyclists. So basically, elite cyclists with a VO2 max of 64 millilitres per kilogram. So yeah, you know, kind of solid, um, not uber professional, but solid. Um, they were in a um, in a high overload period. They had either a standard one and a half grams per kilo of protein a day, or they had a high protein, which was three grams per kilo per day. So for an average 70 kilo man, that means 210 grams of protein. So that would be very controlled to make sure that they were getting exactly that. And they looked at the basically um, certain components of the immune system to see what went on and how, you know, how the protein intake, which up to now, people have thought about protein as always building mass. But they actually found that there was fewer symptoms of, um, you know, what you'd th- think of as, as colds or upper respiratory tract infections, infections in the in the uh, uh, upper respiratory tract. So your throat, basically. And um, yeah. For once, you kind of see that it's a different, um, it's kind of a, a, a different almost outcome than what you'd think, oh, protein, that's just all for muscle building yeah. and for recovery. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily, as they said, it um, 
it prevents impairments in the immune system surveillance. So you, your immune system's got kind of ability to, to uh, have a surveillance system as to when things come in. When you train hard, that surveillance system sort of gets less good and therefore things can... Less fall. good? Yeah, sorry, worse. And less gets, observant, we can yes, say that. Less observant. Thank you. Thank you. That's another quote for the T-shirts. Um, that you sort of almost damage its ability to work out what's good and bad. Yeah. And therefore, the high protein intake helped the um, uh, the athletes to do the high intensity training, but get less URTI infections. So, yeah, uh, you know, another another instance where I just think protein is is overlooked and it could be that sometimes thinking about that is a is a good way of ensuring that if you are in a a high um a high training load or you're not really that good at preparing super balanced meals yes you need to get better at doing that but also sometimes you don't want a meal after or during a hard session you want a whey or recovery type shake and and to be fair as well if if you are pushed for time so i know a lot of guys will um guys and girls, girls. Will go go to the go to the gym and then get home and go oh just done a gym session you know you don't feel like eating but what you have a tendency to do then is pick up rubbish so like you said substitute maybe that rubbish for yeah you know for a decent shape and um, i and i gave i gave you um this bit of news all of <laughs> all of about four seconds ago yeah. um and it's entitled say the title the title says 40 percent 40 percent of adults would struggle to fix a bicycle tire puncher which we, we went back to our childhood Every time I discuss punches with people, yeah, right. we go back to a childhood. Okay. Now, if I was 16, 17, 18, I, my dad would would beat me <laughs> if I took my bike tyre, bike wheel, into a bike shop and said, can you put a new inner tube in that for me? He, yeah. he would go, he would, he, would, he would literally tell me what a waste of money when you should be able to do it at home. Yeah. Now, bear in mind, I never have done, but the amount of people that we get in saying... I, d- I don't know how to do it. Mm. You know, I haven't done... The best one is I haven't done one since I was a child. Mm. So I can't remember how to do it. Well, not a lot with the wheel has changed since no, then, really. No. Um, but see, when I, was, when I was a kid, my twin brother and I, one of probably about four sheds that my dad had, he yeah. gave us oh, one right, of his yeah, sheds, yeah. carpeted it, painted it, put pictures of, you know, the BMX stars of the day and stuff. And so we always used to do all our mechanics in this, you know, it was it was like Formula One clean with all your tools and stuff. And even the kids that we played with all wanted to come and, and do it. Yeah, and do yeah, the yeah. So you just got used to doing those things. But ultimately, when you ran out of tyres and tubes and the nearest bike shop was three miles away, you used to just, particularly on the rear wheel, was just take the tyre and tube off <laughs> and ride, and ride it, it without any tyre and tube. And I tell you what, that really taught you how to be able to, in later life, ride on ice because yeah. you could flick the background and skid along the road. So, yes, 40%. So, but, but you know the funny thing about that 40% is when you read into the bit that's highlighted, it was actually, it wasn't just mend a punch it was also do something else i can't remember what the exact phrase was but it wasn't like actually it was 40 percent couldn't mend a puncher it was couldn't mend a puncher or something else and i can't remember yeah, so what it, it says in a survey of four thousand five hundred adults 41 percent admitted a lack of admitting 
uh, a lack of basic bike maintenance skills such as puncture repair or adjusting brakes. Or adjusting brakes. See, so it might be plenty of people can do the puncture, but the adjusting brakes are, oh, I don't know what to do. But they're all, they're all in that 40%. So you might actually find that it's only 10% say they can't do a puncture, yeah. but 30% say, oh, I'm not sure about these brakes. It says here, the, the survey also found that 15% have little cycle safety knowledge. Um, echoing previous reports, uh, the survey found a good proportion, 33%, believed cycling safety should be covered in schools, with over 80% arguing it should be added to the national curriculum. Yeah, but I thought what what got that printed off in my brain was, do you know what? There are plenty of athletes that are listening to this podcast, and I know people that I've ridden with, that have been on training camps, that have been on training days, or that even have just said it when they're doing a bike fit and that's oh, i can't mend a puncture and i think of of the silliest things that you can't do if you can't do that then you're sporty if you're time trial your you know 600 pound iron man event can go down the, the swanee just by the fact that you cannot take it off and i know there are differences in in hand strength in in even the tolerances. exact tolerances of the wheels yeah. and the tires but if you if you practice taking tires on and off they get a little bit looser so they come off easier and if you've never done it well like any skill you just have to practice it by going back yeah. to it so it's it's a silly thing it's not like saying oh i've never i've never actually made myself my own computer chip well no no and I doubt, doubt we will actually to be fair but taking a tyre off is one of the most basic things to be able to do and when you're good at it and quick at it it's brilliant because you can just get people befuddled as to how you do it but to do it slowly and to know how to do it I think is both good for your value for money in, in future events it will get you out of a real sticky situation at some point in the future um, when you do have to do it because you can't get mobile reception on your phone and you have to do it yourself but also it's part of the skill set of being on two wheels it's the same as if you don't know where your jack or your you know your special nut that goes on your bolts on your wheels to, yeah, to, to, yeah. to get it off if you don't know where that is in your car and you're driving around you're going to be in trouble one day and i just think the skill set of riding a bike you need to know how to change a tire i think and especially if, if you if you have to, I mean, we we do it quite a bit where we get guys coming in, guys and girls coming and girls. in, going, look, I I honestly got to hold my hands up. I don't know how to do it, and no person in a bike shop will rightfully turn around and go, well, you know, pirate rules. I'll, I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll fix I'll fix this for you now, but you can't watch me do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, yeah. you know, it, it's it's something that I suppose a lot of guys that that do a lot of riding take for granted that they can do, mm. but there's a lot of people that don't know how to do it. If you can't fix a puncher, then that that's fair enough. But yeah. by going, I don't know how to do it, yeah. and not doing anything about yeah. it, doesn't help the situation yeah. at all. And who fixes a puncher anyway? You don't. You, you mend that. You you take you take an inner tube yeah, in the night. You don't yeah. even these days. I mean, when we were on a bike back in the, you know, you always got your bit of chalk out oh, and you yeah. mended it because yeah. actually that was quite a lot of money. A, a you know a two pound inner tube. Whereas now it's just like oh, bin that. I'm going to put a brand new one in. Brand I'm not going to ride around yeah. on patches. But my, an, an issue or that I have is when people don't carry any kit at all. And their excuse is, A, I don't know how to fix it. There's no point in me having one. And B, I'll go out with a load of people. They can help me out. Mm. Well, I can't see then how, if you, if you want to do some serious training, that you look outside and go, I might get a puncher today. I'm not going to bother going out. Mm. You know, it, at, at the very least, carry the stuff with you. Yeah. Because if you don't know what to do, 
Yeah. How many times have you ridden from... past people and gone, are you okay? And most of the time we go, yeah, yeah. But sometimes we've gone, no. And you can stop and actually do it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, it's quite staggering that they've got these bits and they've never, don't even know what the tire lever does or how to, you know, how I've seen people try to get the whole thing off and the wheel is still on the, <laughs> the wheel bike. is still on the bike. Yeah. And it's just like, you're going to struggle with that one. Not and, they're like, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, yeah, but I don't know how to get the wheel off. So at the very least, you know, taking, um, quick releases on and off allows you to see, you know, as it seized a bit and as somebody put it on, that's oh, really strong yeah. and you can't get the thing off. Um, and saw somebody in your very bike the other day have to stick something in between the frame and pull it out because somebody had done it so Sometimes, tight. Yeah. So yeah, learn, learn, but also be aware that we've all come a cropper and find out that the spares we thought we had have either, you know, been used or been, <laughs> yeah, or, been or been dropped yeah. or aren't, aren't up to the aren't up to it and you go oh crikey i've just i've just had a, a a real problem because somebody else then who is also carrying spares can get you out of issues but to learn is like anything it's actually great it empowers, empowers you, to be you. Able, i was just about yeah, to say to be able to say well yeah if i have a problem yeah at least i can make an, an effort but if you don't make an effort and just stand by the roadside well unless you've got a team car that's coming behind with another set of wheels i just think it's it's really putting yourself in a in a very um dangerous but also silly position yeah. oh i'll just get somebody to pick me up you could be so far away from anywhere and th there are situations where you can't you have a you know cataclysmic implosion and wheel you know wheel uh, spokes snap and the whole thing is is out of order but we're on about just mending the simplest of punctures yeah. which will happen you know quite routinely every month or two just by the fact you're on air and you go over things that are sharp but the more you ride the more you get used to doing it but if you're not used to riding then you know, rainy day, not going to do that much. Think you might clean your bike. Well, get okay, the at the same time, yeah. get in the garage. If you're going to clean your bike, like any mechanic would do, you take your wheels off the bike anyway to clean it. So when you take your wheels off, why not just let them down, try and take the tyre off, try and put the inner tube back in and go all over again. And I've heard people say, yeah, well, that'd take me ages. Yeah, but imagine what that's like if it's cold and you're going to take double ages then, aren't you? Yeah. So the more you practice it, the more you can get it down to even, you know, 10 or 15 minutes isn't while well, I was there for 25 minutes and I couldn't do it. And also you've had the kit on you. Made, some people I've done, I've made this mistake where I've got two pumps. You have made a mistake, Martin. Well, it doesn't happen very often. Um, but I've had the pump on me and I've always carried the pump. But I've never used it, <laughs> and I've gone to use it, and I've gone. That bloody thing doesn't work. The what? And of course, you kind of going, oh, no. but just purely because you you've never used it, and of mm. course, you've just gone right. Well, that's something else you should check. Mm. You know, the kit that you've got on you mm. is that a up to the task. Yeah. Got the multi tool out of the pocket the other day and realised that because I've opened it up so many times, it's lost the little nut that holds everything together. So that's all fallen apart. So mm. and of course, you've just gone well. That's yeah. pretty much useless. If that fell on grass or drop yeah. down a drain and it was it will guarantee yeah. it'll be the size of the part that you need so you also need to check that yeah. just because you it. haven't used your kit yeah make sure it works yeah make sure well, you've got so. yeah and that the inner tube isn't so old that it's perished yeah, that it's it, the right size it's normally the it's the right one. size and also that if you're on deeper rims that you've got a longer valve which will which will therefore allow you to pump it up it's pointless if you've got short valves and a long rim or deep rim rather and you can't even get the thing to protrude therefore you can't blow it back up that your co2s aren't just empty ones you put back in <laughs> and then go oh no it's got a hole in it already that means i've used it you know all of these things over time wear out um 
it's part of it's the same as in the car you know your bits that are in there um probably get used a lot less than they do when you're riding riding punctures do happen fairly often but the fact that you need those tools and i, I always got this thing that i would rather carry more spares and have some in the middle pocket at the back and some on the bike and if it's an extra co2 or it's another tire lever belt and braces you know if you've got tire levers you've you've got um your tubes you've got also um a tiny little patch of tire that can be put into the side of the tire if you get a slip yeah Yeah. um also you know you've got your mini pump even if you've got your co2 you've got a mini pump because if the co2s do fail you still can do it by hand um and at least you've got several chances then to get yourself out of a hole but don't think oh it's been on there for months i'll be fine because i can guarantee it won't be on there and also, just make sure you've got a pound or something tucked away, a manky old pound I, find, I always find in my saddlebags. Worst case scenario, you can't fix it. You've got enough money to be able to just make a phone call if you haven't got a mobile phone that you take with you, which, to be honest, I don't take a lot. I don't take a mobile phone with me. But just a manky 50p or something, just a slot in there. Not a lot of the phone phone boxes, sorry, Grandad, <laughs> um, don't take money anymore, apparently. <laughs> When you, I can't remember the last time I've, I've, I've had it. But or, or I've heard I've heard people take a, a twenty pound or in some places even a fifty pound that they've got in there because they say I might need a taxi and they you know, they might have somebody at home or somebody that's going to somebody you. get you. <laughs> oh yeah, take fifty pound. Yeah. Yeah, fifty pound is fifty pound. Is then you use that a few times every time you stop at a cafe before you know it, you've got like fifty pence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you can always pay someone to make a phone call if you know. Yeah, what but mean. see, I always take my phone, which has got all of my cards in there. Now, I'm never going to be actually that far away on my bike that I need to yeah, credit yeah. card it. But I think if you've got all of those bits, the the point is have belt and braces. Yeah. And when it comes to crunch time, if you have forgotten something, it's not that you've been really, really like, oh, I can't be bothered. You've actually just, unfortunately, the, genuine. The, yeah. the one time that you got it wrong, you unfortunately didn't have enough stuff. And people riding with you or people that see you, I think will often, you know, help you out. And if it's in an event, you might have some technical backup or you might be able to muddle through. Or as I heard a great thing on a... um it was on a, a YouTube video about some um, various bits and pieces. This guy said he carries extra um, CO2 and inner tube because he said in a race he's had real good feelings when he thrown somebody. I don't know about throwing a CO2 at somebody, but throwing a um, an inner tube at somebody because he's got a spare. Yeah. So if somebody's by the roadside and he flicks it to them, it gives them that real good karma. Good race karma. Good That's race like karma. Yeah. But also, wouldn't you like to be that person by the roadside that, that somebody throws a tube to you and you just go, oh, hallelujah, and you spot their number and think... That person is. I'm is, overtaking in about five minutes. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit them on the backside and say, "Shouldn't have done that." Yeah, yeah. Pirate rules. Pirate rules. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And, and very, very worst case scenario, make sure you have kit on you to be able to. That stopped. When did that stop? I think we had a little brief uh, interlude there, but um, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure Henry Henry will sort that out. He's our he's our, our but, expert. But just just make sure that that you have the kit on you if you can't do it, um, because I think nothing nothing more irritating than when you go out riding with a group of people, and they have the mechanical and go just laugh and shrug your shoulders and go, oh, I, I didn't bring the kit. Yeah. And I have done it once. I must admit, I've oh, been I've been in the This is like being in a confessional. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's like being in the confession. Forgive me, Joe, for I've sinned. Um, so, so yeah, just uh, 
at very worst case scenario, make sure you've got your kit on you and someone else will help you out and they won't mind showing you at your, at your local bike shop. Yeah. At the other end from inner tubes and tire levers, um, this was really, it, it's merely um, me getting excited about something that plenty of people would be going, what is he on about? Um, it's not tires again, is it? No, it's not tires again. Um, it's, it's EMGs. Electromyographic. Oh, my God. EMGs, not OMGs. Um, electromyographic activity in the muscle. So measuring on the surface of the muscle what's going on inside in terms of the muscle. Um, and for the first time, I've not seen this done before, using that to work out somebody's um, anaerobic threshold. And, right. and I was like, wow. Okay, so instead of actually doing... Um, oxygen analysis or lactate analysis, actually measuring the EMG at um, certain intervals that they, they filter the, the data to actually work out what's going on somehow, being able to work out what's going on inside the muscle by the fact that the EMG actually shows a difference in the muscle activity. And I thought that was quite interesting. All oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and this this is this is uh yeah this was hot off the press this was um uh, international journal of sports medicine from russia 2006 no it's not <laughs> no it, it was um just the other day oh, it was right. um yeah and i just thought it said that um it, it correlates really well with the with the methods of using you know the normal stick the uh ventilatory uh devices on and look at what happens to the gas thresholds this actually was was very similar and they took um they actually took untrained male university students um which doesn't matter you know it doesn't matter who you do it's the fact that you can measure it and they did the standard 20 watt per minute um ramp test and then they measured their threshold both doing the oxygen analysis but also looking at the emg so i thought it's quite Do they have a correlation between the um the air and the EMG, did they did they have that in there? It, as, if, as if they kind of tracked each other? Well, it, it says that um, the analysis of the EMG signals appeared to be valid and reliable as it produced nearly identical values and high correlations with the VT estimates. There you go. There you go. There you go. So, yeah, just that was interesting so to was, think. What was EMG again? Um, electromyographic activity. Um, electromyographic activity was basically putting sensors on the muscle and working out what's happening inside the muscle and therefore can estimate threshold. So it's a non-invasive way of doing it. You don't need a mask on, you don't need yeah. to take lactate and it's in that particular muscle. So you could well look at different thresholds in different muscles, which is what Perfect. I thought was interesting because when you measure... different sports then? Well, so. well, you know, is, is one muscle group at lactate threshold i've got you I yeah see what you're saying. and and another one you know another muscle group isn't but i just thought you have to be able to measure that you could measure different muscle groups and stuff and this is as far as i know this is the first time it's done that's certainly. brand spankers that isn't it yeah absolutely brand so anyway that was that was just a little bit of, oh, you know, might like be that. might be interested in that um, that was one of your more interesting ones joseph <laughs> thank you um Compression garment promotes recovery after weight training so basically uh 10 reps three to five hard sets um, nine exercises, bish bash bosh. Then they either wore like compression clothing or a sort of uh, a non-compression garment. Now, hopefully, it was tight enough that, or not so tight that people didn't go, "Oh, I've got the compression on, therefore I must not, I mustn't be recovering." But then they couldn't affect their body mentally. Say, "Oh, I'm not recovering." Right, therefore, yeah. Anyway, they measured 
the um the kind of uh, the soreness of the muscle by asking them they also measured the actual um leg extension recovery for several days afterwards and what they found was there was less muscle soreness when they wore the compression gear but they wore it for 24 hours after exercise okay i've seen this um before um where there was a two two 25 mile time trials i think we might have even talked about this where they did one 25 mile time trial then wear recovery gear on their legs for the whole 24 hours then did another one the following day and the ones that had recovery gear on outperformed those that didn't so it does show that recovery gear probably needs to be on for longer than people do you don't just put it on you know and most people then say oh crack i need more than one set yes you do because there's some that has just been used or some that are like now starting to walk around on their own accord that need to go in the wash the thing yeah um so yeah you might need to put them in the wash and then get another set out so they looked at this they looked at um for 24 hours afterwards certain markers of, of blood damage um and even the circumference of the muscles. And they found the upper arm and thigh, um, they were um, they were worse in the placebo. So when you had upper body compression and lower body compression, the actual circumference of the body was, was not as affected. And circumference of the body, if you imagine the muscle when it gets hit hard, swells a bit. So if you can stop that happening, then you can show that you're possibly aiding the recovery. Some people would argue you want it to swell because that's part of its process. Others say if you can stop that, it might accelerate recovery. It's oh, a wow. difficult one. Some, you know, certain things happen after exercise you don't want to stop because it's part of a process. But they said that um, uh, it facilitates the muscular strength coming back quicker um, within the first sort of three to eight hours. Um, on the lower limbs, um, it takes a longer period for the um, compression gear to have an effect. So maybe that's because your lower limbs, unless they were bedridden, your lower limbs are being used for the next yeah. 24 hours. Yeah. Whereas upper body, you could basically, you know, tap keys, write with a pen, shake hands, whatever. But you wouldn't necessarily be working at a high level um, by comparison. So another one that suggests that probably compression gear, if used for longer periods after hard exercise, probably works. Mm. Um, and this was this was interesting. Well, I think it was interesting, and um, there might be some comments from people. I saw that online there was a class action, and this is this can be completely different for some people. Um, yeah, online there was a class action uh, lawsuit in America against the Vibram Five Fingers um, shoes. So now I want to point out something obvious. Yeah. Five fingers? Well, yeah, but you still call them on the toes. They still call them five fingers, you know. I mean, really, they should be called five toes, but I know what you mean, yeah. But so these are the um, minimalist running shoes that are, you know, basically like individual um, toes in the shoe, but very sort of minimalist. Uh, and it seems, and I don't want to um, tread on anybody's toes. Because, um, of course, there's already one class action. We don't want another. Um, that the product have been sold i think allegedly allegedly quite possibly um <laughs> it'd been sold with the, with certain claims that were then subsequently found not to be um able to be backed up i think that was the long and short of it and therefore um people that can go to this 
particular online claim form can actually be part of a of a class action suit against Vibram because the claims of what they've um, said the shoes do cannot be backed up and this we said has been has been various shoes over the years i think various companies you know insert name here in terms of things that didn't really change your buttocks or your calves or <laughs> give you rebound energy all these things that have gradually um gradually been found out but i thought it was quite interesting that it that it 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 sort of does a you know does a black and white that says basically that particular technology doesn't work as they said it does, but there's a lot of um, there's sort of a lot of modelling and a lot of of people and certainly many experts that believe that a certain amount of differences in shoe technology are needed in order to let the body fully do what it yeah. needs to do. So you don't want you know the most cushioned, the thickest, the most stable shoes in the world. Sometimes you want zero and be running around you know grass barefoot other shoes want to work doing different things but that the body inherently has got springs and the ability to add energy and to let us do certain speeds over certain terrain but of course the moment that you put it into a tarmac concrete running scenario um, it appears from the research that actually barefoot running isn't efficient at that point and i've seen things that say that actually putting shoes on people is more effective no. and that therefore you know if you're going to train to be a barefoot runner in a barefoot scenario i you know running on on a on a, a you know a 20 mile beach or over terrain where barefoot would make sense probably do but if we can put protective shock absorbing and actually more effective materials below your foot that's probably better even though we all like it sometimes to take our shoes off and just you know it's quite nice you know run or around barefoot and, in the grass run barefoot in the grass run yeah. around with the dog and the kids and the, you know stuff and run on the beach and stuff it feels good but if you ask me to you know, go out on the road and start running down the road in barefoot i could probably do it after a while it might help me but there'd be many instances where i think mm, i'm not quite sure about that i don't know that that is automatically going to equate to being a better thing to no, do no. you know you do it from here out to um the front of the house and even there run on the grass great the moment you hit concrete or onto the tarmac like, and i know that changes the way you run but if ultimately we know people don't run as effective on tarmac in bare feet why try to train to do something that isn't going to be as effective it, yeah. is it if you're anti-shoes well get on with it basically you, you know if you're, if, it, if you're shoeist yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna say i don't know i, I say if you got your anti-shoes on try your ankles <laughs> um no, I, I think i think you're right you, you know certain shoes are designed in certain ways um and before before i was working in the bike shop i used to work with 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 heels yeah, with, <laughs> yeah, with um no i used to, I used to work in in sports footwear so right. that and pretty much everything from back in the day where kind of the, the the way your gait was you know whether you pronate supernate etc et but when that all first started pretty mm. much um and it's got to that point now where i think they're starting to look back at it and go actually that amount of support that was given then yeah isn't the right amount yeah. you know maybe a bit less support um you know and a bit more grip gives you obviously a performance uh enhancing mm. as, as such but yeah. um they, they looked at a lot of things from foot shape all the way to um 
heel strike, yeah. forefoot running, etc., yeah. etc. Everything yeah. that's evolved to, to to where we are today. So, and there's, but, I think there's some there's some very obvious things. Is that a lot of people don't, shouldn't, and would not gain from running on their forefoot. Not not you know what I would really think of as forefoot. A lot of people think midfoot running they think of his forefoot forefoot is a very aggressive yeah. kind of stance midfoot is often what a lot of people think of as as um oh that person you know runs a forefoot runner and forefoot runners are, are quite a you know really forefoot running is it a speed where you're doing such a short distance that's why you use that particular method and then for longer distances midfoot makes sense but of course if people overstride and land heel first they they decelerate more, but it's more that their striding is the wrong thing. The shoe is just being the interface between them and the floor. Yeah, yeah. It's the way they run that means that they heel strike. A shoe wouldn't make you heel strike. It's the fact you throw your legs too far forward and then you've got to land. You couldn't land then on your toes if you're all the way forwards. So you have to land on your heel. And I think that the, the, the shoes need to be as minimalist as gives you enough. That's right. They need to be um, kept in mind that there is no shoe that will just keep going and going and going. So they will be only around for a while. And then you have to, you know, Shift do your, do your gardening or go to the gym in them, but not run on the treadmill. But don't think that a shoe is, is so expensive it must last forever. They're all effectively turning over in a fairly short time scale compared to most other sort of things like heart monitor you don't buy it and say oh six months later that's got to go um and i think that the the extremes of you know minimalist absolutely nothing running shoes to the other end where there's so many things stacking there that don't need to be in there that people's it changes the way they run, but it also makes it for an awkward running means that you need to land in the middle somewhere. You might find you need slightly more support at times, but you might want to do some, some barefoot running when the surface allows. But actually the mid ground is where most of the time you want to be, which is in a you know cushioned, but as little as is necessary so that your mechanics are just natural. That's right. Yeah. Because they're not natural. If you go and run now down the road on tarmac with barefoot, if you ran with those on, you'd straight away change. Okay. Partly to what that shoe does, but partly by the fact that something's taken the absorption. And if we know absorption is probably better for you, there are some people that argue we need to create a sort of a spring in our body. And sometimes the shoe take that out, but then that might just be lazy running. If people want to run lazy, they could run lazy in you know minimalist shoes wellies. or wellies or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah. whereas yeah. if somebody's interacting with it and therefore they think about their technique they sometimes do you know think about lifting their feet off the ground quickly that they do do drills or they do drills rather that make their nervous system react but also make them react to doing yeah. it not just go out the you know see people they're literally slapping every foot on the ground you just think that's just creating even worse mechanics but it's also not good for your body because no. you aren't like a springy interactive person you're too tired you're, you're running too long and you don't look like you have absolutely bounce off things i think that idea that 45 minutes on your feet is a very long time don't think in units of an hour don't think you've got to be out there running you know two hours every week sometimes people's muscles need to recharge and repair particularly on the heavy side to be able to go out next time and feel like they're fresh on their feet not just slapping their feet down because that ain't going to make you an efficient runner the best runners hit the floor with a minimum contact time and get off the floor and start flying again. They don't slap the floor, keep their foot in contact for a long time, and then eventually lift their foot up. So what are you saying about them then? 
Well, there was just that class action suit, and it's, there's interesting stuff online that if you read about it, you know the the kind of the, the claims and that it couldn't be supported. Therefore, that the people that bought them, that um, I remember having somebody on a on a training camp that was kind of absolutely convinced that oh yeah, they do this, this, and this, and um, and I think they're just there. There are many minimalist things that are too far the wrong way, and I think that you know if you look at elite runners, they might do some. Uh, running on um, maybe barefoot but they'll do a lot of their running just on softer surfaces anyway they won't go and think I've got to run on tarmac and concrete they will go for trails and uh, footpaths and beaches and things like that and even in those scenarios they're still going to have some shoes on so I don't think running in bare feet is the sort of secret weapon that people make it out to be it's it's nice feeling but it's not the mecca that we're all trying to go towards ultimately most people will 99.9% of people listen to this will do their event with shoes on in a triathlon, you might run from swim to bike and have bare feet. You might hop off the bike at the you know transition line and then get back to your running shoes in bare feet. But you're not doing that for you know 26 miles. No, you're doing it for a brief period. And people that run their 5k park run or a coastal marathon do it in a shoe. They don't say I'm going to do it barefoot. Just bizarre. So, any last minute one line wisdoms. Concurrent exercise should be should be thought of as not necessarily good. No, no, no. no I don't think I, it's just no. it's just not happening. You can't today. make it happen, can you? No, no. no. The, when when it happens, we will we will capture it and make sure that it isn't lost. But you can't just make those things. You happen. Can't make a silk purse out of Sal's ear. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> um, very briefly. Um, Great Tour de France, great to see all that happen. We're now, you know, past Tour de France, we're past um, the Commonwealth even. I noticed in Tour de France, you know, time trial bikes were galore. The the Plasma Five made its appearance in the in the in the Tour de France, as as did skin suits. Where they're talking about skin suits of up to a thousand pounds for top uh, top teams. And not, that's not for the team. That's one of them. Um, Commonwealth Games, great to see the team relay. That was really good. I really like that format. Yeah. You know, the tagging and the swim bike run. Nice and short, sharp, quick stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, just it's been a great summer. I know we're in August and it's not like all over, but it's been a great summer for sport. And nice to see that, um, you know, there are some, yeah, just, just great performances across everything that I'm watching in terms of, you know, time trial competition records dropping and, you know, seeing, you know, relay teams in triathlon and how they do stuff to, you know, ultra marathon runners doing, you know, fastest times over 100 miles and things like that. It's just miles you know, running. Yeah, you'd have thought somebody had told them about cars by now, wouldn't yeah. you? I mean, it's just public like... Public transport. Public transport, even. I bet yeah. they weren't barefoot. <laughs> don't start don't start so we will love to have your uh questions do you want to do that again oh sorry sorry (laughs) i should turn it on